All right, who loves a summer barbecue as much as I do? Listen, if you want to impress everyone with some super yummy dishes, you need ButcherBox in your life. ButcherBox is my go-to subscription box that delivers high-quality meat and seafood to your door with free shipping always. And I'm talking high-quality cuts at an amazing value. 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. We are saving so much money every month with ButcherBox over going to the grocery store and buying meat and seafood and saving a lot of time. But get this, last month we saved nearly $200. I also love that ButcherBox curates these tips and recipes that are based on your box so you know what to cook. I made the most amazing steak with a basil sauce the other night. And oh, let me tell you, my friends all raved at how amazing it tasted. I'm definitely going to be pulling that recipe out. If you want great meat and seafood in your life, you need ButcherBox. Sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com etm and use code etm at checkout and enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus get $20 off. Again, that's butcherbox.com etm and use code etm. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Get rid of all of those limiting beliefs that are like, I don't have enough right now. It's like, that's okay. Whatever amount that you have, if you can set up the structure to just get started, then all of a sudden in a year from now, when you were telling yourself you had nothing, you're going to look at that and go, actually, I did have some money and these balances are starting to increase. You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Come to Game where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna. Money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado. Welcome back to the show. I am so glad to have you here. Wow. Well, today feels like a really good day. <laughs> I don't know about you, but something about today, maybe it's because we're talking about superpowers, but I know this is going to be a great episode thinking about superpowers, there are so many times in my adult life where I have really wanted to just put on some Wonder Woman underoos and feel like a superhero again, like I did at five, six years old. Sorry if that is TMI, but I think life can be a little tough. It would be nice to climb back into those uh, those underoos from time to time. And with money in particular, there are so many things to do with your money investing is usually one that goes to the bottom of the list. You don't have enough time, enough money, enough know-how, whatever it is. Well, our guest, Shinabu Hinder, really wants to change that. She's a CFP, creator of Empowered Planning, and the author of a new book called Investing is Your Superpower. 
And her message is, investing isn't just for men. It's for anyone who wants to thrive financially. We chat about your investing checklist, how to get started, what to do to kick investing to the next level, and how to really use investing as your superpower to help you make your money goals come true. I can't wait for you to listen to this one. I'm Shauna Compton-Game. This is Millennial Money Podcast, and let's get into the interview. Well, Shinabu, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. As I mentioned when before I hit record button, that anytime we do an episode around investing, particularly with women, this is always one of those topics that I feel like we just can't get enough of. So thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to hear your questions and dive into all of the goodies here. Well, we both know that that millennial women I think we feel bogged down by a lot of things. There's just the cost of living, which is a lot. I live in Los Angeles and it's extraordinary. And really anywhere we live, the cost of living is high. And I think investing can just feel overwhelming. It just feels like this big concept. We know we should do it, but we don't necessarily know how to or how to get started. Or even if we are investing, like, are we doing this right? So how can women today focus on like paying down debt and still being smart with their money, but also still start investing for the future? Like how do we balance those two plates? Yeah, that's a great question because one of the common hurdles that I come in to surface with a lot of women that I work with is like, it's not a good time or I don't have enough to get started. And I think we need to just change that narrative because the industry has become really democratized that anyone can start. And when I started in this industry 15 years ago, you did have to have a lot of money because there were higher minimums, there were account fees and, and so on. So when you're thinking about like, how the heck am I supposed to balance all of these things? I really like to start more with your vision of how you want your life to look. And if you can kind of start at the high level from there, as you say those things out loud, write them down, talk to a friend about what you want your life to look look like, you're going to find that those things, you can actually attach a financial goal behind the scenes to those. And that is a great place to start to look at and say, okay, well, you know, I did want to start looking at owning a home. I do need a new car in six years from now. I do you know, want to make this investment in my business. And then as you're having those conversations as a kind of the, the financial planner mind is you can say, well, I need a one goal for saving for a home and investing. I need another goal, parceling out money for a new car. I need another right. goal for, and you can kind of just back into it that way. I kind of look at it like you're reverse engineering. And if that's the case, get rid of all of those limiting beliefs that are like, I don't have enough right now. It's like, that's okay. Whatever amount that you have, if you can set up the structure to just get started, then all of a sudden in a year from now, when you were telling yourself you had nothing, you're going to look at that and go, actually, I did have some money and these balances are starting to increase. And then it's more top of mind. So I kind of just want people to incorporate it in how they think about like planning for life. And then these things will sort of fall into place because the idea that I'll do this kind of at one point in time isn't really going to be sustainable. And that that all actually feels like really hard work. But if you start to incorporate this into your life, you're kind of slowly, slowly chipping away at it. And then it just becomes kind of this like habitual practice. Mm. I like how that feels. And 
I I talk a lot about vision. I'm a real firm believer in vision and writing down your vision. And I, I have this thought when you were just talking that I would imagine somebody listening feels this way that they have a vision, but maybe the vision just feels so big or so far off. Like, I mean, is it even humanly possible? Like they have so many goals they want to achieve and they look at where they're now, where they are now, just like you were talking about. And it just feels maybe almost impossible. So I think a lot of people start thinking, well, why do I, why should I even have that vision? Because it just feels like there's no way this is going to happen. So when we talk about investing, is there a way to break down if something is really big into like small bits where we can actually feel like we're achieving something and we're not, we're not just, you know, shooting for the moon in like the first step? Yeah. And I, in, in my book, I do talk about the adjustable elements when you're goal planning, because you could write down these six goals that you have, and maybe the, the, you are far away from them today. But if you actually look at those and start running some really basic calculations that you don't have to go too into the weeds, but if you just used a growth calculator and said, okay, if I started to save a hundred dollars a month towards this goal and it grew at 5%, what would that look like in 10 years from now? And you start to get an idea of if your goals are realistic, because you might really be surprised. And as you go through these exercises, you might say, okay, well, actually I had the goal of buying a home for myself and having a, a new car and investing more money in my business. But now that I look at these and I run these numbers, I'm actually closer to this home goal than I thought. And now it's less important for me to have this car. Maybe it's less important for me to invest in this business because I'm going to spend more of that free capital on investing in a property for myself. So it actually feels like clarity when you go through this because you're in the driver's seat and you get to decide, well, what do I, what do I really want? And as you go through this, you are going to have these like aha moments where you're, where you're going to say, you know what, something that I really thought I cared about before is less of a priority now that I actually go through this and I see I can do these things that I want to do. I just, you know, we don't know how to financially plan. Even when I was in college and I was a business minor and economics major, and I had a class in finance, they didn't talk about this. So, you know, it's just confusing to go from, you know, that would almost be like someone asking me to design a website. You know, it's like, I I could tell you all the things I want on it, but if they're like, okay, here you go, read this book and get it done. It's like, wait a minute. I don't think I can do this on my own. It's really just like learning another language, but taking baby steps. So even just the simple act of going, opening an account, setting up so it's directly getting invested once a month at $50, $100, whatever you can afford. And it's in a fund, you know, let's just say like an S&P 500 fund. So you can just get the practice of doing that and then just experiencing what that's like. And, you know, interest rates are paying zero in a savings account. So it's becoming more of an attractive option to get invested. So you talked about an important point there that, most of us don't learn the language. There's so much financial jargon. Most of us weren't taught about money in school. I think probably I can safely say about 98% of us listening to this. <laughs> Maybe there's like a small 2%, but we never really learned anything about money, let alone how to invest with a strategy. So it's easy to say, I think, and particularly this is, I've seen this happen in the last year, 
where you might say, well, I want to invest in XYZ stock, whatever that is, because everybody's talking about it. So if everybody's talking about it, I'm, I must need to invest in it. But what I'm interested in is how do we actually put together an investing strategy that works for us versus just picking a stock out of the blue because somebody said, this is what we need to invest in? Yeah, there's definitely kind of a thematic process that goes through it. And the first thing is like, I'm just going to keep going back to the same home example because we started with it. (laughs) But if we, um, there's no rhyme or reason other than that. But if we're talking about, okay, I want to buy a home, let's say it's in, you know, seven years from now or six years from now, whatever that looks like that's really the first part of it is like the vision planning of what do you actually want? And then based on that, we have to know, well, what is your time frame? So when are you actually going to need to spend the money? The second thing is how comfortable are you with risk when the market's going up, down? How do you feel if the market's decreasing? Are you losing sleep at night? Or you're like, "Eh, I don't really look at my accounts that much. It doesn't really bother me. And then the third thing is your current financial situation. So if, for example, you're all pumped up from this podcast and you're like, all right, I'm going to start saving for this awesome goal that I have. You're putting money in, you're getting invested and you have an unexpected expense that comes up. Do you have cash reserves that you can use to pay for that? Or are you going to have to look to this investment to sell? So you always need those three things to figure those out, to create your investment strategy. And I am a fan of asset allocation, which is just creating these percentages of risks, Uh, sorry, stocks versus bond versus cash based on your goal. And I go into all of this in the book because they're kind of these templates that a lot of money managers use as well. So you don't have to go and recreate the wheel, but you could look at those things and say, okay, well, based on when I need the money, based on my risk tolerance, based on I have cash reserves, I'm kind of in a balanced type of mix. I'm going to put 60% of my money in stocks, 40% in bonds, and then you can find a mutual fund that'll do that for you. Right. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned your book, Investing is Your Superpower. I love that name, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) Everybody wants a superpower, right? I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) And you talk about this idea that uh, the pros that are out there in investing, they don't necessarily know more than we know. And yet we tend to think that um, social media or the news, we tend to think like somebody out there knows way more about this than we do. And there's no way that we can possibly be profitable just as even a newbie investor. So do the pros like really know more about investing than the rest of us? Do they know some things that we need to know or like where where is that divide? So they they definitely do. They know a ton of information, but they want to limit the kind of human capital risk that's involved because the more you know, the more dangerous essentially you can become because right. you start to think that you can predict what the market's going to do. And that can be really, really dangerous. So that's why they use a lot of asset allocation as a guideline to say, this is how we're going to manage the money inside of these gaps. So for example, if they're looking at 60% of your account should be in stocks or equities, and they're going to use some mutual funds, they're going to make sure they're spreading that risk around. So there could be a situation where they see, let's just say growth stocks, technology stocks, for example, are poised to have a lot of growth. They might put a little bit more money in that versus 
Like if I was just sitting at home, not really paying attention to it, I just might pick a fund and it's like, well, I don't really know exactly how that is. I'm not going to manipulate my account to put a little bit more here, a little bit less. I'm like, I'm okay if I miss out on 5% of earnings on that versus a professional money manager who might go, okay, well, now we're going to overweight the portfolio more towards value stocks because we think we're going into a recession. So they can have this extra kind of oversight when they're professionally managing it. But that might only be a 1% difference, 2% difference if you just pick a diversified mutual fund that's a balanced fund because it matches all of your goals. So yeah, you don't need to have tons and tons and tons of money to be able to hire some of these money managers. And if you have an opportunity to talk to a professional money manager, there is a 90% chance that they are not managing their own money. I've worked Mm. with so many. I've talked to so many. When I used to live on the East Coast in New Jersey, I lived right outside of New York City. I had a lot of either portfolio managers or money managers that were clients. And this is what they did all day, every day. And they all had these really hysterical stories about when they either made a ton of money that was lucky or they lost a ton of money that they were like, I'm not allowed to manage my own accounts because they make different decisions because they're emotional and they're like, I see something in the market. They would never do that in a client account because they're held to different standards. But in their own, they're like, I got a hunch. I'm going to, I'm going to go on this hunch. And when they're right, it feels great. And when they're wrong, they're like, all right, my family said I can't touch family money. I have to open a separate account and do it on my own. So just know that even the brightest of the brightest, the market is always forward thinking. And it's hard to be able to have a repeatable process to beat out what the market's going to do. I have to tell you about my new obsession, Notion, our sponsor today. Notion has single-handedly changed how I do life for the better. I use Notion for all my daily journaling so I can keep it all in one spot. I also keep all our favorite recipes that are budget-friendly in Notion so I can easily sort and find the ones I love and easily create fast grocery lists. And okay, one of the best uses of Notion, you can create a template for your money dates and track your goals right in Notion. Seriously, Notion is a game changer. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but really getting inspired. It's an AI-powered workspace. It turns knowledge into action. You can use Notion to summarize meeting notes and auto-generate action items, get answers to questions in minute, and you can make all of your money tasks so much easier. Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company, freelance designer, starting a new startup, a student juggling classes and clubs, or just somebody really wanting to get your life together. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash etm. That's all lowercase letters. Notion.com slash etm and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. Notion.com slash etm. So tell me, what are your money goals that you have for this year? Maybe you're like me and endlessly looking for a house to buy and you're focused on saving for a down payment, or you're drooling over traveling somewhere tropical this year and you want to save to pay for it, or you're ready to leave your job and build your own business, so you're going to need some startup funds. Whatever your goals are this year, Monarch can help you reach them. In fact, the Wall Street Journal named Monarch the best app for growing your savings. 
Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress towards financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. What I love about Monarch is its simple and easy customizable design, so the dashboard can look exactly the way you want it to. I'm also a big fan of creating custom budgets for things like travel. It's one of my favorite money tips, and Monarch lets you do this so easily. This is such a great way to stay motivated when you've got a lot of money goals. You can easily track your progress with every dollar that you save or spend. Remember, your brain loves to see progress, and you should celebrate it when you're saving money. And honestly, I am so focused on privacy, so I really admire that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties. This means a lot to me, and it should mean a lot to you as well. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of the show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. I know I'm a bit biased, but honestly, I think I have the best dog ever. Her name is Winnie Stardust. She is a golden mountain doodle, and she is full of spunk and fun, and she's never met a ball she does not love. I honestly, I would do anything for Winnie, and she has enriched my life so much. I can confidently say Winnie is absolutely one of the most priceless purchases I have ever made. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. In today's world, we insure a lot, from cars and homes to cell phones and even travel plans. But what about insurance for your cat or dog? With ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. This is what I call smart spending because... Let's be real, those vet bills, they can be expensive. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program, they've been around for about 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure your pet's plan is unique as they are. Because vet bills, they can really add up, especially when you are least expecting it. It's simple. You use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTC Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Hi, I'm Karina Bemisterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right. Daily true crime. Everyday Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short-form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So why not add it to yours? 
Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts. And remember, stay safe. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 4.5% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC. Don't go anywhere. Shinabu is sharing her investing to-do list, which you must know, and how to balance investing with life in the second half of our chat. Off we go. You talked about advisor versus doing it ourselves, And I know robo-advisors are something that I'm sure every listener on the show is very familiar with. You know, what is the difference between, say, working with an evo- robo-advisor, maybe picking some funds yourself versus like working with a financial advisor? Where, where are the pros and cons in each of those? So it's all really just based on like, who you are as a person, your personality, how hands-on or hands-off you want to be. But then it can boil down also to size of your assets. Because if you're like me, I'm in the process of making money. Right? I'm like in this wealth accumulation phase. So I don't have $5 million in cash that I can give someone to invest. My clients, you know, on the low end had $750,000. So really it was like clients with a million or more I could talk to. That's great for them <laughs> that they get access to advisors that have what we call a wrap fee where they're paying a fee to work with me based on having a million dollars. If you're in you know, in the process of building that wealth, and let's say you have $25,000, $10,000, $100,000, well, you might not qualify to work with some of these financial advisors one-on-one, but that doesn't mean there's not solutions available to you. That's when you can either do it yourself or utilize a robo-advisor. And it's very attractive then. I would, as someone begins to build wealth, I would say like, above 500,000, above 750,000. You do want that diversification of thought where you're not just using a robo-advisor, a simplified solution that I would really encourage people that they could find a ton of value working with an advisor because you're going to have someone that's able to look at overall your taxes or what does it not just look like for tomorrow, but five years from now. But in the meantime, if you don't have that yet, there are so many tools that you could do it yourself. And when you do it yourself, that doesn't mean you have to have seven computer screens up, watching the stock market all the time, (laughs) buying and trading stocks. You could just buy diversified mutual funds and kind of build your own portfolio that way. And you could always test it out and give yourself three to six months. More often than not, what I see with people that want to do it themselves is life happens. And they're like, I had this plan. I put it in place. I was going to do, you know, get out of this. And I was going to reevaluate this and rebalance this. But then my wife, you know, whatever, whatever the case is, it's like life just happens. Or my parents, my in-laws came into town for two months. Um, So it's just a good barometer to say, if you are doing it yourself, just keep yourself on this. Put a reminder every couple months or once a month to see how often. And what I encourage people to do is actually log hours Mm, so you can reflect back on that and see, actually, I only looked at this for one hour in the past four months. I'm not really staying on top of this. I'm going to use, you know, kind of an automated fund in that sense. That's a really good idea. I like that a lot. And it also keeps yourself accountable. <laughs> yeah, because I, I find the same thing. Yes, this is my profession, but I have two kids. I'm an entrepreneur. I 
I'm married. I mean, there's lots of other things that come up that when I'm not working, how much time do I really have to be managing and buying and selling? And it's like, you kind of have to just get real with yourself. Yeah, that's funny because uh, my husband and I love to watch, uh, we're a huge like documentary people. We watch documentaries in the evening a lot. And uh, because I do all this stuff all day long around money, sometimes we'll go to watch a show and he's like, oh, this one's really great. It's about like the income wealth gap or something. I'm like, no, yeah, you can't watch no. anything about money. Like my brain yeah. cannot handle another thing. So it's so true, especially when you're in this arena or if you're just really hyper focused on on your money, sometimes it's almost like the the you know reverse happens where you you don't look at things as much as you should. So there's like this really healthy balance point, I think. Oh yeah, I, I had clients that worked at CNBC, and they were like, "I cannot do this myself." Like they were <laughs> kind of going insane because every time I talked to them, they're like, "I think the market's gonna crash." I, you know, we're having these really revved up conversations, and I'm like, "Hey, you're surrounded by headlines." all day. And a lot of it is just to get attention because they need people to, especially because of technology and people not literally getting a physical newspaper or sitting down to watch the five o'clock news. They're always trying to fight for headlines and who can have the better viewership essentially on their website. So that if you work there as an employee, it can be like shocking. And I just want your your audience to know that even if someone is a professional, that doesn't mean they're necessarily better at this than you, because that can also be uh, hard to manage. Very true. Well, okay. So you gave this great tip about logging your hours. Are there investing like to-do items that we should check off while we're investing or maybe before we're investing, like, is there a laundry list of things that we need to have, have in check? Yeah. Like first and foremost, to have an emergency fund to make sure that that looks good to you. And I think COVID has changed the rules on what an emergency fund is. So as a certified financial planner, when you go through the certification and the testing and literally in practice with your clients, it's always been three to six months, typically three months if you're in a two income household, and then six months if you're in a single income household, or you have two people that work for the same company, then we'd err on the side of six months. Because of COVID, If you, when you had high income earners losing their jobs in the middle of this pandemic, there wasn't quick job replacement within three months, even within six months. So I think just kind of looking at your industry and saying, well, how realistic is it that I could replace my income? What's the time frame? Really building an emergency fund around that. So you can let your investments ride if it's not a good time for you to be tapping them. If your intention is you know, not to touch that money for 10 years, then you don't want to have to make knee-jerk reactions because you need to tap into that money. Um, so that's the first thing I would do is just be in a position that you can invest. And then kind of circling back to what I said before of your time frame, your risk tolerance, your financial situation, and then figuring out, okay, what is an ideal asset mix for me? What percentage of bonds versus stock should I have and international stocks as well? And I think this gets tough because when you're showing someone, especially with how well the market's performed, when you're taking a look at a bond fund that might pay you 4%, and then you're looking at the stocks in there and you're like, well, last year they returned 20%. You don't want bonds, right? It's like, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> they're, they're not this sexy investment. So the, I think the first thing you need to do is 
try to detach a little bit emotionally from it of what does that asset allocation look like to you? And then you can plug in the pieces with the types of funds that you like, or if it's individual stocks and to make sure that you're truly getting diversification. Because there's many times where when you don't know the language, you're buying a fund that says it's a growth fund. You're like, yep, growth, that sounds good. I want growth. And then it's an S&P 500 fund. And then you're buying something that's like blue chip. And then when you actually dig into those, those are all invested in the same area. So just to also make sure that you have true diversification when you are investing. Well, you have such a cool story. I was prepping for this interview and poking around on your website, Empowered Planning. And you share this story about your mom and dad and how they met and and how money was talked about in your house. And from both different parents, you kind of received a little bit different messaging. So I, I want to hear more. Tell me a little bit about about your money story and and how money was was shared with you. Yeah, my father is born, he was born and raised in Kenya, and he had lost both of his parents before he turned 18. So he had a lot of responsibility that he had to take on. And my mom had actually, she's from Japan, had gone to Kenya on a trip with some girlfriends. She fell in love with the culture and ended up staying. She got a job working for Mitsubishi and, and met my father um, through her, his cousin that worked there. But she had kind of met him when he had gone through a lot of this trauma with his family. And then for them to be together, they had to come to the United States. So he actually had kids when he was pretty young in his early twenties and right from the get-go from, you know, the minute he turned 17, 18, he had to do everything on his own. So his, his attitude towards money was very different from my mom. She was from, you know, I would say like middle class or maybe even upper middle class family where money really wasn't talked about at all. And the only time she really remembered money coming up was when she was in college. She went to a college right next to where her brother went to college and they were looking at these envelopes that they got from their parents. And my mom said she had twice as much money as her brother had. And she, she just remembers being really confused. Like she was like, I don't understand. Like we're both going to schools right next to each other. Like he, what do you mean? He's been getting half of the amount that I've been getting this whole time. And so when she was with my dad here, he was like, really wanted me to be aware all the time about money. And for my mom, she was like inappropriate, inappropriate, inappropriate. (laughs) You don't talk to a little girl about money and it made her so uncomfortable, but then he would always circle back. I remember sitting at a table talking to them in the early evening. And my dad was like, where is she going to go? Who is she going to talk to? My family's all in Kenya. Your family doesn't even speak English. How is she going to communicate? And at that time, we didn't have WhatsApp. We didn't have, in, in Japan, they use Line. You don't have all of these apps that you could talk to people or you know FaceTime. So it was like, oh, how am I going to call a foreign number? Like, what are, how would I get in touch with anyone? So it really scared me where he was like, if something happens to both of us tomorrow, I need to know that you understand how to take care of yourself. Number one, something terrible was going to happen. And number two, that people were always going to try to like take stuff from me. So I started to really internalize that. And I actually began to hoard money even as a kid. So if I did chores, if anything that, you know, my first jobs, I remember always wanting a job. And my dad kept telling me, I want you to be a kid. Like I remember him always being like, you got the rest of your life to work. And now as an adult, I can understand that was because his, it was so hard for him. 
And he was like, if you have a chance to not do this. And where my mom was like, no, she needs to work. She needs to pay for her own thing. (laughs) She was like, you got to go take care of this. So when I started to work, I would have these envelopes that I would put cash in and I would literally hide them around my room. Wow. And, you know, really looking back on that, that was like a serious fear that I had that something bad was going to happen. And I used to think it was like my getaway money. I don't know where I was going. I lived in a (laughs) suburb in New Jersey, but it's just really interesting. And that kind of carried me into this as a career because I always was having talks with my parents about money. I knew when they had money and things were good. I knew when things weren't good and we were starting school and I was like, okay, I can't ask for back to school stuff. That was always a big time of year for shopping. Right. And I remember that. And, but it, so just as a profession going into this, I was just fascinated that there were all these solutions, that there were strategies and I'm like, oh, I need to learn more. And I had to kind of really work through all this emotional stuff that I had with money. So it's been, it's been really interesting, I would say. Wow. Yeah. So such an interesting background. I mean, wow, it's just so fascinating how, you know, you you have two different cultures and how those two different cultures view money differently. And so it makes sense that we all, we all learn about money differently and have these money beliefs, sometimes unconscious that we don't even know about. And yeah, I, didn't, I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't realize that fear was driving much of my decisions, right? Or especially around money, probably until my mid twenties. I didn't, I didn't really get that. I just thought I was being responsible and saving, but it wasn't in a healthy way. Yeah, I understand that for sure. Uh, it's it's just it's so interesting when you start to kind of like dig down a little bit <laughs> and yeah. uncover some of these things. And you you started your career working at some really large financial institutions and working primarily with high net worth individuals. And I'm wondering, are there any money lessons or takeaways that you can share with us that you learned from working with high net individuals? Like, do they have money all figured out or are we all kind of in the same boat here? Yeah. The biggest thing that I would take away from that, it was really rare to meet someone who just was like, well, I don't know. I just did this thing and I got all this money. I mean, that was really rare. (laughs) That barely happened. Maybe once or twice someone had sold a company um, or invented something, but that was less than 5% of the people that I talked to. What it was that I noticed was just these little habits that people had of getting invested. So similar to how a 401k works is money's automatically taken out, it's automatically invested. So you don't have to push any buttons to get it invested and you have to make any phone calls. And these little things that they did over a long period of time just made such a difference. And I think even for a lot of my clients, they were just so surprised that they had as much money as they did in such a positive way that they were like, wow, I would have never imagined this could have been Wow. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think you can, I mean, I worked a lot with high network individuals and what I saw was that we all, there are no original money mistakes. We all have made a variation of the same money mistakes and we're all trying to figure out the same things around money. We may just be dealing with different amounts of money, but at the end of the day, we're all trying to figure out the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And just to get started, you know, I think us right. reserving in our mind of saying, oh, I'll do that when I have more money. It's like somebody who 
would, you know, is not in your situation might think you are in that spot where you have more money. And it's kind of like we keep discounting ourselves of what we have right now. And just to put it in there and put your money to work, the sooner the better. Yeah. Well, this has been so in, insightful. I, I love chatting with you. So much great advice. I love to end every episode with an actionable tip, strategy, tool, anything that you think the Millennial Money listeners need to walk away from this interview. So what would that be? That would be to take your vision of something that you want to achieve, let's just say within the next 10 years, and look at how much money you can start contributing to that today and then go and do it. It's Get great. started. <laughs> that is fantastic. Short, sweet, and simple. I love it. Well, tell the listeners where they can go to pick up a copy of your book, Investing in Your Superpower, and also to connect with you at Empowered Planning. Yes, the book is available at Target, Amazon, Barnes & Noble online, and my website, it's www.empoweredplanning.com. And I hang out a lot on Instagram, which is empowered underscore planning. If you joined this conversation, you will definitely enjoy Shinabu's book, Investing is Your Superpower. It is such a unique way to think about investing focused on achieving your goals. So it's not what to invest in, it's how to invest to create the life you want. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor, share it with friends and family members, anybody who you think would love to embrace the idea that investing is your superpower. As always, you can head to the links in the show notes for Shinabu's information, as well as links to our episode sponsors. I will see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. Hey, you. Yes, you. Before you go, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money. For all the links, tags, and ads you've heard on today's episode, check out the show notes or go to mmoneypodcast.com where you'll find more episodes to share with your friends. While you're at it, leave us a review and make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss out on all the money tips and tricks that will take you from a millennial regular to a millennial money expert. See you back here in a few days with a fresh new episode. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value.